Well, I want to ask you kind of a, an interesting question this morning. When you were growing up, um, do you remember having to memorize your uh, multiplication tables? Anybody remember that? <laughs> Some groans, okay? And uh, that's kind of a tough thing, but it's one of those necessary things you got to learn, you got to have, it's important. And, and I remember um, I wasn't great at math, but I knew that I had to learn that. Just about everything in life had to do with numbers and addition and subtraction and multiplication tables. And you have to learn those things. And, you know, how many times do you hear your kids, either as a parent or as a teacher, say, why do we have to learn this? Have you ever heard that? Am I ever going to use this? And you say, oh, yes, you will. And I remember hearing, oh, yes, you will. And thinking, oh, you'll never use that. But, man, were they right. Parents and teachers, I've used that a lot. But I, as I thought about that, I really liked multiplication better than division. How many of y'all had problems with division? Okay, I had problems with division. But I thought about if I had not learned the multiplication tables first, could you imagine trying to learn division first? That would have been difficult, wouldn't it? But I like multiplication because, you know, you could just kind of go down and memorize your, your twos and your ones, twos, threes. I mean, ones were easy, okay? But, you, you know, you get past that, and then, you know, you get, you know, some of them are a little easier than others, but then you got into 9, 10s, 11s, that, and 12s, that was like, oh, your mind blows. But then you start looking at division, and you think about 2 goes into 4 how many times? You know, just 2 plus 2, 2 times 3, but then 2 goes into 4 how many times? What goes into? What are you talking about? Division. But I just like multiplication better because the numbers got bigger. 2 plus 2 is 4. 4 plus, you know, 4 times 4 is 16. It just got bigger and bigger. And division always made the numbers smaller. So today, I know you can say, what is that all about? But as I thought about, um, you know, last week and we celebrated the resurrection of Christ, the foundation, the foundation of our Christian faith that Jesus not only died um, to do away with our sins and, and reconnect us with God, but he defeated death. He defeated death. And as I think about that and I think about the resurrection of Christ, I think about what happened after that was is once his disciples who ran away when he was being crucified... All They all ran and hid, and they're thinking, now what? But then when Jesus was resurrected, it gave them hope again. He has defeated death, and not only has he defeated death, but he's, as I said last week, he has defeated all that evil, all that injustice that was served. That could not kill Jesus and keep him in the grave. And that gave all of those disciples hope. If that can't keep him in the grave, all this stuff he's been talking to us about, about going into all the world... Changing the world, this kingdom he's been talking about, we have hope to keep going. Because evil and injustice and hatred, all that stuff cannot stop that power. He has power over death. What can stop us? Nothing. So that church started off very fast. It started growing very rapidly. And even in the midst of uh, doubt, even in the midst of persecution and resistance, the church started gaining steam. And you know what? The Bible tells us in Acts that it multiplied. Numbers were being added daily, and I like that. The church wasn't divided. The church was multiplied. So I want to start a new series today talking about multiplication versus division and how important it is. And just because it's not just because I like multiplication better. It's because just that word about growing and multiplying. You think about those of you who look at your... Uh, uh, retirement, you like that compound interest, right? You know, we want to see it multiplying, you know. And I'll just say to you young people today, you remember I told you about how they said you'll use this one day? 
I'm telling you what, if you are smart and you'll start putting money away now, it will multiply. It will. That is so true. And as Dave Ramsey said, I know he's not one of the gospel writers, but he says, if you, you know, one of the things he says, you know, if you, if you live like no one else now, you can live like no one else later. But more importantly, you can give like no one else later in life. And that multiplication. And we see that in Scripture over and over again. So division doesn't sound good when you're talking about growing a church, but I want us to read a, 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 an account this morning from the book of Acts. And I'm just going to say this because some of y'all uh, know this and it's you know, old news to you. But you know, we got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We got the Gospels with your accounts of Jesus' life, what he did while he was here on the earth. And then right after that, we have the book of Acts, which is the history of the church. And one of the gospel writers, Luke, who was a doctor, he also wrote the book of Acts. And he gives us an account of what happened after Jesus left this earth. After he rose again, he stayed. Acts tells us that he stayed about 40 days. We know that. And he made an appearance, as I mentioned last week, to over 500 people, saw Jesus alive. And this church, these people, followers, oh, man, if this guy can defeat death and hatred and, and injustice and all those things... That, then I want in. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And so it's starting to grow. And it was growing by not division, but by multiplication. So I want to read a, a passage from Acts 6 this morning um, that's very interesting to me. And I want you to, to listen carefully to what happens in this story. And I think there's a lot of lessons we can learn about multiplication versus division. Because let me tell you what Satan what wanted to do in that early church. He wanted to divide it right off the bat. He wanted to do something that would get in there and drive a wedge between people. Start dividing people. Because there was a lot of people who were Jewish in their background. He was going to try to divide them. There were people who were maybe not Jewish in their background, but they wanted to be followers of Jesus. So you have different cultures of people. Not only different races of people being followers of Jesus, but different cultures. And there is a different. There's an ethnic race, and then there's a different culture that you live in. And so we're going to read about a couple of cultures that were Jesus followers, but all of a sudden they're thrown into this thing of following Jesus. They're starting to build community together in this early church church and Satan is trying to drive a wedge in there and let's see what happens in this particular passage so we're going to look at uh, Acts chapter 6 I believe it's going to be on the screen behind me great all right so in those days when the number of disciples was increasing multiplying the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food so the twelve the twelve disciples, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, um, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed for them and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, multiplied, and, many, uh, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever heard that before or read that, or maybe you have, it's been a while, but I've, I've always liked this story because, again, it's this early church that's just getting birthed in the first century, and it's in Jerusalem, and there's a lot of different people, and most of them have a Jewish background, which is steeped in the law, the law, the law. And as we talked about on Good Friday, that Jesus said there's a new covenant, and that new covenant, the law was important. I did not come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. But there's a new covenant that I'm establishing, and that's called grace. You need to understand that. That's how you're saved, through grace. Because you know what? You can never obey the law. You can never do enough of the law. You're always going to fail at that. There has to be grace. And so, in this new church, people are hearing that, and they want to embrace that. But you've got these different cultures that they're from. Now, he mentioned two groups that are complaining. One group was complaining. There's Hellenistic Jews, and then there's Jewish Jews. Isn't that redundant? Jewish Jews, I mean, that's, well, that means the ones that were in Jerusalem. And he's not talking about two different races, y'all. He's talking about two different cultures. Now, how many of you have ever heard through history of Alexander the Great? Okay, what was he? He was a Greek, and he came in, and, you know, he conquered the world for a while till the Romans came in. But there's still these pockets of people who practice speaking Greek and acting Greek. Their culture is all about the Greek. And then you have some of the Jewish people who are very Jewish in the way they speak. They probably spoke in Aramaic, like Jesus did. And then uh, they act according to the law still. Now, these are followers of Jesus now. So, so we still respect the law like Jesus did, but we understand that I'm saved by grace. What, what just happened in Jerusalem, Jesus dying on the cross and rising again, we're following that because we've seen Him. We know it's true. We want to follow that. But we still have this deep-seated background in our Jewish culture that's important to us. And then you have these Hellenistic Greek people who have a lot of the culture. They believe in Jesus. They even believe in the Jewish law and that, but they have come from a different culture. Have you ever met people in different cultures? When's the first time you really kind of grasp other cultures that you're around? How about in school? You start noticing that when you're little. Hey, there's a different culture. These kids over here, they think and talk and do all this stuff. And then these kids over here, they go, where do I fit in? I want to be a part of some culture, but they're different. So Paul's saying these two groups were trying to be Jesus followers together, but there was something going on. And, and, and the, the um, Hellenistic Greeks said, hey, our widows are getting overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Daily distribution of food. I thought everybody was on their own. Well, when we read, if I go back a few chapters to Acts chapter 2, let me just read you what it says. This new community of believers said, hey, we have everything in common. If there's a need, if we need to sell something to meet that need of the people that are in our community, in this body of Christ, then we'll do it. So they had everything in common. I want to be reading from uh, um, partly in uh, verse 42. Um, of Acts chapter 2. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Different cultures, but they're devoted to the very same things. And it says, um, Everyone was filled with all what the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. He was multiplying because of what was going on. So when I read that, I go, is that real? Was the church that good in the first century? Was it that good? Were people really that connected to one another? And yes, 
That's why it was growing. But all of a sudden we get to chapter 6 and now there's a wedge that could possibly draw. So there's widows and this is a carryover from Old Testament law. And the Old Testament law says you're to take care of widows. You're to take care of orphans. You're to take care of strangers. You're to take care of aliens. That's what you're supposed to do. As God's people, you don't let anybody do without. You take care of those needs. Rather, in this same, the law, it was the law, but now under grace we're saying we're still going to do that because we love other people and realize they have a need, we're going to do whatever it takes. But all of a sudden it says, wait a minute, our widows are not getting the daily food that some of the other cultural. So we know there was probably a little bit of a cultural rub there. Yeah, we love Jesus, but we know you speak Aramaic and we speak Greek. We know you do this thing on Tuesday and y'all do that thing on Thursday. But we're still loving Jesus and we're still coming to church together and doing all that, but there was a little bit of maybe... Um, and this is, this is painting with a broad brush, maybe. But some of the Greek-speaking Jews said, hey, the, the Jewish-speaking Jews, Aramaic, they think they're a little notch above us. Because we've come from this, when, when we were scattered, we're still Jewish. My daddy, my grandfather, my grandparents, they were Jewish, and we've moved back to Jerusalem, but we got away for a while. But these people have been in Jerusalem their whole lives, most of them, so they think they're just a little better than us. A little bit of that. And then the Jewish Jews says, hey, the, you know, the Greek-speaking Jews, they're Christians, we understand that, they follow Jews just like us, but they're a little liberal. They've been about the world. They compromise on things. And so they're a little below us. So some of that was just a little bit of that going on in there. So you can see, we say, hey, why are our widows being overlooked in the daily distribution of food? Obviously, there's a place they can come and they take care and get the food, but somehow... I don't think this was deliberate, y'all. I really don't. I think that there was some reason it was growing so fast that maybe a lot of Greek widows were there and they were coming and there were some that were getting overlooked. It wasn't deliberate. It just happened. If maybe you were in charge of the tables and giving out the food, maybe you didn't know some of those people and you go, what? And then all of a sudden you go, hey, I, I did not mean to do that. I just, there's just so many people now. Now, we know they were organized. Why do we know they were organized? Because we know they talked about exactly how many people were involved. And that there was this the food going on. People were, the needs were being met. They were keeping up with who it was. But it was growing so fast it maybe got out of hand. So this was an opportunity for Satan to go, if I can drive a wedge between these two cultures that have come together, I can mess the church up. And that's what he was trying to do. But let's see how they dealt with this. So when this complaining got to, you know, say, hey, well, they were complaining against the Hebraic Jews. And it says, so the 12, the 12 disciples goes, wait a minute. We're, we're about preaching the word, getting it out there, and now we're having this little issue. What are we going to do? It says, he, it says they brought all of the disciples together. Let's not go meet in a room and come out and tell you what we're going to do. Let's bring everybody together. They had, the, I guess, the first congregational meeting, maybe. I don't know if that's a good uh, analogy or not. <laughs> some of y'all have been in some of those. But he brought them all together, and he says, look, first and foremost, we know there's a problem. We understand y'all feel like your widows are being overlooked and we're going to do something about that problem. But let me make sure y'all understand. We have been called by God to preach the word. That's the most important thing that God's called us to do. And that's what he's gifted us to do. That's what he's called us. That's our gift. That's what we're going to do. We're not going to get sidetracked from doing that. But we know there's a problem here. So we're not ignoring it. But first and foremost, we've got to keep the main thing, the main thing that God's called us to do. So he said, they started talking about, and he says, this is what you need to do. He says, and it says, waiting on tables. Now, they're not saying, y'all, that because we preach the word and we pray, we don't have time to give people food. We're better than that. That's not what they're saying. They're just saying, God's called us to do one ministry, 
And we know other people are called to do different ministries. And do y'all realize this passage, we believe in church history, is where deacons were first formed in this passage right here. So they said, we, we know what our calling is, but we know this is important, so let's, let's just deal with this. So he says, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you. Why seven? Well, seven's a perfect number in the Bible. But the other things that commentators think is, is that maybe how many days of the week? One guy for each day to take care of that food deal. Somebody needs to go in there and they need to have the gift of administration and let's make sure that nobody is being overlooked. Let's know their names, let's know their families, let's know what their needs are, and let's not overlook them. So let's do that, seven. And they, they start talking about it. But this is what you've got to do. You've got to find guys who have a good reputation among the people that are filled with the Spirit. It's obvious from the way they act that they're not just saying they're followers of Jesus. You can tell it in their lives. They are filled with the Spirit. Spiritually, they are filled with the Spirit practically, on a daily level, they have wisdom. That's important, isn't it? Do we need practical smarts in life? Absolutely you do, okay? So he said we need those kind of people that can take a situation and use their spiritual filling of the Holy Spirit, but also their godly wisdom in, in how, how to deal with this situation. And so they, they obviously did this, and it says the proposal pleased the whole group. And then they named specifically, Luke named specifically these different guys. Did you notice any of those guys? Names you may have been familiar, Stephen, we're going to learn about him in the next chapter. Philip, we're going to learn about him in the next chapter. But he names all these names. And here's something, and I did this with, a, with the middle school and high school Sunday season, where sometimes in the Bible there's things that we don't pick up on because it was in a different language. But all those names, y'all, do you realize what kind of names those are? They're not Jewish names. And in that history, a lot of, Jewish, a lot of people in, that, in Jerusalem, they had a Jewish name, they had a Greek name, and they also had a Roman name. And you used it according to wherever you needed to do. I know, we laugh at that, but it's true. You know, I don't know what my, I mean, Craig, Craig, I don't know, whatever. I don't know, you know, whatever. But, but all these names, y'all, ended up being Greek. And Luke picks up on this as he's writing this because as he's getting his information to write this account of what happened in the early church, he's saying they chose all Greek guys to do this distribution. What does that say to the Greek-speaking people? I don't even have to say it, do I? You matter. And you know your people the best, so we're going to let y'all's folks take care of that. And you know what? You're going to be distributing the food to our widows too, but we don't care. We trust you. Now, I think about if that would have happened in our culture right now. If we had a situation between cultures, what happens? We don't call everybody in and let's straighten it out. Well, I'm just going to start telling somebody, it's not fair. My mama's not getting taken care of. They don't care about her. Discord, division, not multiplication. It's not, I'm going to go on Facebook and I'm going to write a commentary about it. That church, those people hate my mama. What? Now we're laughing because we know that's how some of this stuff gets stirred up in, in our culture. But, and it's easy to hide behind a computer or a phone and send a message to somebody instead of sitting down with somebody face to face and say, hey, wait a minute, what's the main thing? that the word of God is getting out. God is doing an amazing thing. And those 12 disciples say, God is doing an amazing thing in our world and in both of our cultures. And we've come together to be unified. We're not going to let Satan do something. And it said this pleased the whole group. And they presented it. And they found these guys. They presented these men who prayed and laid their hands on them. I, I read something this week that, that blew me away. I never thought of it before. What do we do in the church? We usually lay our hands on people and pray. What did it say they did? The opposite. They prayed and then they laid their hands on them. And what, what was that? That was symbolic of we've been closest to Jesus 
and we feel like God has been very clear on what to do in this situation. And these people who know you best in your community, they respect you. They love you. They have the Holy Spirit. They have wisdom. They're going to be a part of this. We are supporting them. We're going to be encouraging them. We're not going to be waiting on the tables because we're supposed to be continuing doing the praying for people and preaching the Word. But these guys are going to take over. Here's what's interesting about this. All these different things. Everybody involved had to say, I'm going to do the right thing in this situation. The Hellenistic people did the right thing. They said, something's not going right. I need to speak up and say something. But they went to the leaders, didn't they? They didn't go to everybody else. They went to the leaders and said, something's wrong. And a lot of times in life we go, oh, I don't know, you know, this is going on. I said, why don't you go tell so-and-so about that? Oh, no, I'm not going to tell them about it because something might get done. I like just gossiping and complaining. But he went to the leaders and the leaders said, whoa, this has potential to be dividing. I'm sure they prayed about it and they thought about it. Let's bring everybody in and say, we know this problem. We know it wasn't deliberate, but we need to show the rest of the world the light of the world that we say we're followers of Jesus, we need to act in that way. What would Jesus have done? And they got them together and they took care of things and it said that the church kept growing as a result of this. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased, multiplied rapidly because they were doing things the way Jesus had given them an example to do and they're already practicing it. They're not letting division come in. They're letting multiplying happen. And that's important. And it says a large number of priests, he throws that in, a large number of priests became obedient to the, to the faith. Why? Because they're watching what's going on and they're going, this is unbelievable. They crucified this man. They shed all this hatred. We all know that wasn't just what happened to Jesus. And they're following him and it has changed their life. I'm a priest, but I want to be a part of that. I've been following the law my whole life and I'm all into the legalism. I want some of that Jesus. I want some of this community. I want to be a part of that. Now, what else is interesting about this, y'all, is, is that God is doing an amazing thing in this church and in these people's lives, but he's also not only developing the first deacons, and the word deacon in the Greek means servant. The first servant leaders were, this is where, how it all formed right here. We believe that from reading this. But what's also interesting is we mentioned Stephen and Philip. When I go to the next page, Stephen is no longer waiting on tables. What's he doing? He's preaching God's word. I go a few chapters later and I read about that guy named Philip. And God is sending him to Samaria to sit next to the Ethiopian, a guy from Ethiopia and go, what are you reading? Do you understand what you're reading? And he explains to him. So you see what God has done through being able to start. And this is something important for young people. All of us learn, but we start wherever we start and God will raise us up. But if you think, hey, I'm going to start right here, you got to start. And Jesus proved that the night before he... He was crucified. What did he do? He got on his knees and washed all his disciples' feet. He says, if you want to be great, you've got to become last. You want to be first, you've got to be last. And Jesus taught that. And so these guys learned that and they saw that. And they said, we're willing to wait on tables. Whatever this church needs, we'll do it. But a few chapters over, and we don't know what length of time it was, but Stephen and Philip became leaders in the church and God did something amazing in them because they were willing to start where they were and serve a need that needed to be done. And I believe God grows all of us like that, y'all. No matter where we start, you might be saying, I don't know what to do in the church. You can start anywhere. Just start serving. And if you are faithful to that, God will be faithful in your growth and your commitment. And he will, he will keep leading you to something else and something else and something else. And so I look at this and I say, what can we learn in 2018? We need to be a church of multiplication, y'all. 
not of division. When we have something, and we're going to have, we're going to have things, aren't we? We're going to have things that are going to come up that we need to deal with. And when we do, we need to be able to go to our leaders. And we need to be able to say, hey, this is what's going on. How can you help me do that? And, I, and I'm confident in, our, in, our, in our, our leadership here, our elders and our deacons, if we go to them and we share something with them, they will listen and they will, they will do the best they can to try to find through the Holy Spirit and through God's Word and through wisdom to find something that we can do to help that situation. And that's the way it should be. But we've got to stay on track. Because here's what I'm thinking about us, y'all, right now. We're getting ready to move into a new building. Everybody's exciting. You know what? Satan is not happy about that. He's glad there's delays. And he wants us to get in that new building. If he can, with some of the new people coming in and different people coming in, he said, man, if I can just drive a wedge and start divisions in that church, it'll be awesome. Get people fussing and fighting. Go, yeah, same old thing. I had left one church and they were fighting. I came to this church and they're fighting too. So I'm just going to stay at home and... You know, eat my donut in front of the TV. Watch Joe Olstein or whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But that ain't why God set the church up, is it? He didn't set the church for us to sit at home. You know, he said, you're supposed to be together. And Jesus set that example. He worshiped with people in the temple every day. And he went out among the people and, and, and did what God called him to do. So this morning, that's a practical application. If you're not even a Christian here today, if you read this account and you see how they handled this situation, you go, that's pretty good. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in God. But the way they handled that was, that's pretty top-notch. I could use that in my business. I could use that in my family. I can use that in whatever. And it's important that we do that.